and uh, let's go ahead and begin tonight, uh, if you guys would, as we get ready to begin, bow with me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this night that you've given us, that we have this time to come and to worship you, and this time to look to your truth and your scriptures And we thank you for the brethren that meet here, and we ask as we come together tonight that we could edify and encourage each other, and that we can continue to grow with each other here in this body. And we thank you so much for the hope that you have given us, the the home that we have with you in heaven when our lives are over. And we ask that you help us to stand strong in our faith, to continue to fight the battles against the evil one as we go throughout each day and that we continue to stand strong to the end. Our God, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I would ask as we begin tonight, if you would go ahead and take your Bibles to Galatians, and we'll actually be looking at Galatians 5 here in just a few moments. I know if you had the, the sheet that gave the list of things, it's going to have Romans 7, and we'll probably not be touching too much on that tonight. Uh, just keep that in mind. And uh, I will probably, at least for uh, this class period, do this more, in a sense, like preaching like a sermon. And I know some of the times uh, Chad and I are going to be alternating, some other men are going to be teaching as well, and uh, I'll probably be asking for a lot more conversation uh, as we go through some of those lessons. But again, Galatians chapter 5, we'll be looking at that in just a moment. And tonight, as you know, we're talking about Satan, and I'm not going to spend the time talking about all the names that we see with him in the scriptures. I think you guys know those at great lengths, but we're going to be looking at this idea of the struggle within. And it doesn't take long. If I were to ask you guys, do you have a struggle? What are things that you have struggled with? You could probably tell me, well, yesterday I was facing this battle, or today it's a totally different battle, but it's just something that is is kicking me down, and I need help to overcome the struggles. And so maybe as we look at things through scriptures, we find different types of struggles. Maybe for some, like Paul in Philippians chapter 1, he faced a struggle of life or of death, that to depart and be with Christ, he understood that was very much better. He knew the greatest thing we could have is to go on and be with our Lord. On the other hand, to remain on in the flesh, he understood was more necessary for the brethren. He was going to labor for them. It was a man who was selfless and not selfish. Maybe the struggle that we face at times is the struggle to listen to Satan's lies or to God's truth. We see it from the beginning. We see it back in the earliest days in the garden when Eve is tempted by Satan himself. And as always, it's not that he just wants you to question God's word or, or maybe to say, well, well, you know, can you look at this a little deeper? But really to challenge God and challenge his word and maybe think you're greater than God. Maybe think in this mindset of pride and arrogance and to get her to deny what God has asked her to do. Or maybe the struggles of just choosing to do what is right and what is wrong. And I think we all face that struggle each and every day. The struggles that some have to not grow weary in doing good. And how often have you lived day by day where you're thinking, I don't know if it's really worth it. I'm living my life this way. It doesn't seem to prosper for me. But I look at people on the other side, the people who live in wickedness, and it seems all they do is prosper. 
Things seem to go great for them, but what about me? And that's where I would tell you, hold on just a little while longer. Just hold on a little while longer. We know the scriptures, Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9 talks about uh, to not grow weary in doing good and how in due time we will uh, reap what we've sown. But I, I want you to see something before we look at the Galatians text that I asked you to open to. I want to start with something that I wouldn't normally start with in a lesson. Oftentimes, I wouldn't start with just the message of hope. I might lead you towards the end of the lesson to talk about the greatest message of hope, and then we could close out with that. We could go home. That would be it. But I want you to think, when we look back in the times of the garden, we see where man has failed, and we're thinking, you guys, you really messed up. What's God going to do about this? But the realization that we have in Scripture is God had already had a plan. It was a, a predetermined plan, as Peter calls it in Acts chapter 2. He's always had this in mind. And when we read of the bruising of the head and the bruising of the heel, it's to bring a death blow to the devil himself. We need to see that God had the plan to end the power of Satan itself. And I want you to see that. I want you to also see it on display in a very unlikely source. And I'm going to bring up a picture on this screen. And I want to ask you a question as you see this. Do you know who this man is? Do you know who this man is? If I were to ask you, is this a good man through most of his life? Is it a man who lived his life in dedication to Christ and to serving other people and that he was very genuine in his love for mankind? Or maybe is there something different about him? I think some of you know who this is. It was the man named Jeffrey Dahmer. A man who was notorious for murdering and even cannibalism. The things that we would think, that it's just barbaric. It's just atrocious. How could we even think about someone who has done things such as this? And maybe for just a moment, if we could talk about, not just, we could say, the former life that he had, but how his sins have affected other people. Because no doubt, the sins that you and I commit... The things that you and I do, not just the things that he did, they affect other people in this walk of life. We tend to say, well, well, I can do certain things and it's not going to affect anybody else. Maybe it won't affect somebody out there, but it's going to affect you. It's greatly going to affect you. His sins have affected others as well in his life that he lived. And none of us could begin to imagine the pain and the conflict that was caused in their lives. Nobody can account for that. Nobody can take those things back. But we might think a little deeper beyond that. Where we can look in his life, and if you look back, you can go read some articles. Uh, Brother in Christ, Keith Stonehart, I don't know if any of you guys know him. He's posted things about this. And even some of the, just the uh, videos, not the documentary that came out, but the videos of him back when he was being interviewed. He's a man who was talked to about Jesus. And at least from my understanding, it was by a man in the Lord's church. And he came to, to realize things about evolution, something that in his life he used to believe evolution and to see that the idea of evolution, well, it's something that he came to realize later on. As he said, it cheapens life. The theory of evolution, he said, it cheapens life. And the idea behind that, if, if we came from the slime, if, if there's nothing that created us, there's no heaven, there's no hell, there's no accountability whatsoever, so just do what you want. It doesn't matter. 
That's the realization. If there's nothing beyond the veil, do what you want. There's no reason not to. Eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow we die. That concept we sometimes think about. But this is a man who also came in time to realize that Christ is the Creator of all things. And from what I have read, He was baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of His sins. Now, listening to him in the actual interviews, I am convinced he was genuine. I am convinced that he meant the things that he said, and he understood that he is going to stand and be held accountable for the actions that he has committed in his life. He understands that, or he understood that. But what we sometimes do is we look at a man like that, and we think, you know what? I'm not as bad as that guy. I've never murdered anybody. I've never even thought about doing that. I've not resorted to things that he did when he murdered other people. We look at other people who've robbed and stolen and done things like that, and we begin to say, I've never done anything like that either. So I'm not as bad as the next guy. And if we could really reflect for just a moment, how does God view man? How does a holy God in heaven who has never sinned and sin cannot come into his presence, how does God view man? Because when we think back to Romans chapter 3, and I will just reference this, but where he tells us that there's none who does good, there's none righteous, in verse 23 he says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Realize that's us. That's not just Jeffrey. That's us. And when we begin to see that, that we are all sinners, that we all stand guilty before God, maybe then we can realize what I have here on the screen. This is the purpose, power, and point of the gospel. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. I hope, genuinely, I hope one day we go into heaven and we shake the hands of the man you just saw on the screen. That he can welcome us into eternity. I want you to think of a couple of things here as we look through this. I'm not going to tell you tonight that you're going to live your life in perfection. I'm not going to tell you that you have to be perfect in everything you do or else that's it. You're going to face the fire. I understand there's the grace, the mercy, and the love of God. But if anything that we have been taught lately in Barry's lessons on Sundays, we see there is a danger of apostasy. We see there is a danger of falling away as a Christian. And a lot of this goes back to the battles that we're facing, the inward struggle that you and I go through each and every day. And the source of this, what you and I choose to do, is going to come from one of two sources. Either the side that is evil, we'll talk about that here in just a second, or the side that is good that is ultimately from God. Which side do we want to choose to be on? And if I could stress this even now, if the side that comes from Satan himself is the side that loses. If I could say Satan is a loser. Why would you want to be on the side of one who is lost? I think it's all the more reason to stand with the one who cannot lose. The side we see here is the side of evil. In fact, some of these things that you may recall, back I'll, I'll reference this, but in Matthew chapter 15, when he speaks of the things that defile a man, the things that come from the mouth, ultimately from our hearts, and, and these evil thoughts, and slanders, and adulteries, and murders, and, and all these things that come from the, the mouth, and ultimately the heart, he says, they defile the man. These are things that are evil. 
when we think back to our studies in James, when we saw these two types of wisdom, one wisdom he talks about that deals with jealousy and selfish ambition. You want to talk about a problem that has caused issues in every single relationship ever. Be selfish and you will destroy everything. That's in a church, that's in a marriage, that's in a friendship. I don't care what it is, it will destroy everything. And James tells us these things are earthly, sensual, and demonic. It's not a wisdom that is from God. In Galatians chapter 5, when he talks about the contrast between the fruit of the Spirit and the deeds of the flesh, these things that are in opposition with one another, notice in verse 19, he says, now the deeds of the flesh are what? Evident. It's almost to say you'd have to be hiding in a corner to not see these things. It's evident. You're going to notice when you see these things, it's very evident in life. It's obvious. He says these things which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envy and drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If I could paraphrase it like this, live that way, you can't go to heaven. That's the reality. If I choose that lifestyle, that's the reality of what I face. Now the problem is, what we are often taught in our culture, and this deals with things just like that. How many times do you hear someone say, just follow your heart. You can't go wrong if you just follow your heart, right? And oftentimes, that is the advice that is not given by a Christian saying, follow a heart that is trained by Scripture. That is often advice that is given by the world to say, just follow your heart, just trust your gut, if you would. And how often do we think back to Jeremiah and what he spoke about? The deceitfulness of the heart. Who can trust it? Or we think about what I've often called a, a, the Pharaoh complex of someone who's not going to listen to what God has said. And what happens when the heart is touched? And I refuse to do what God has said. The heart grows harder. Keep it up, and before you know it, the heart is just seared, if you would, to the point it's too late. And sometimes we see people today, just as much as I imagine in their time, who have followed their heart into rebellion against God. How many people have gone into adulterous marriages? And well, they just, they fell in love. They, you know, love is love. We can't help it, right? You can't help, you can't help who you fall in love with. And so someone cheats on their spouse. They get married to someone else. They destroy the entire family in the process, but they followed their heart. People have followed their heart into murder. And I say this because again, your heart cannot be trusted unless it's trained by the right source. The source that comes from what is good and from above. When we look at the other side of this to see the side we need to choose, the side that is good, again, the, the principles back in James, James chapter 3, he talks about that kind of wisdom where he tells us it's first pure. If I could say, we could spend probably 15 hours at least talking about being pure, that we could not even touch that. 
but, but it's first pure. He talks about it being peaceful, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. He talks about the principle of righteousness, and if we kept going, the, the principles of peace within it. But these things, we would say, these are from God. These are things from above. The things that we as Christians should desire to choose. And then again in Galatians chapter 5, when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit, how often do we consider these things are complete, or the complete opposite of what we read about the deeds of the flesh? I'm not going to take the time to read those. I would encourage you, take a moment when you have it uh, to delve into that. But I want you to consider here, when we're looking at this struggle that we have, uh, the inward struggle, what are certain things that cause the conflict? What are certain things that cause this conflict and this battle that we have that it's hard for me to choose what is right versus to to choose the things that are evil? What causes this? Sometimes we listen to the wrong sources. How many times do you see, whether it's a doctrinal matter, whether it's something that maybe is this sinful or is it not sinful, in the first place people go, I need to check Google and I need to see what does Google say about this? Not can we go to the Bible with no preconceived notions. And let's dig into the Scriptures and see, well, what does God's Word say about it? And then let's make a conclusion based upon that. Sometimes we go to the sources maybe of worldly wisdom. Have you ever had a spiritual problem and the very thing that you've done is you've gone to people of the world, people who do not look to what God has said, and you say, well, well what's your advice on this? And the very things that they instruct and the very things they tell us to do are not only the opposite of this, but are things that are going to destroy you. They will absolutely destroy you. And we're thinking, well, well, maybe they're right. Or maybe, again, we could say God is right and He always has been. Sometimes we create battles that haven't happened yet. Ever done that? I'm the worst example probably of that. Maybe you have someone that you need to talk to. It's a difficult moment. You have something you need to speak to them about. It can be someone in the church. It can be someone at your work, a family member, a friend, whoever it is. But you begin to think about all these different scenarios in your head of what they might say and what they might do. And before you know it, you're not just filled with anxiety and worry. You're almost angry at them. And you go to them with that anger and it just blows up. It's something that easily could have been prevented. We need to be going to the right source, ultimately going to God and then going to them. But sometimes we have a selfish outlook in life. I remember reading a post not too long ago. It was on the, the Murfreesboro page and on Facebook. And it, a man had described that there was a, a wreck in Murfreesboro, which is not uncommon there. But he described about it and he was just so angry that it was such a great inconvenience to him that day because they got in a wreck and he didn't get to go where he was wanting to go fast enough. And I begin to think, how selfish can someone be? That potentially someone's life is in danger. Someone could have possibly needed to go to the hospital. They could be where their life may be at great risk. But I'm more concerned about getting to maybe the grocery store or wherever it is in time. A lot of problems that we have in life come from selfishness. That we make this life all about me. 
The Bible can be summed up in two phrases, and you know those. To love God, what's the other? To love your neighbor. Okay, you know the rest. But sometimes our conflicts are caused because we have the love and priorities for the wrong things. Throughout the scriptures, we see some of the most challenging statements. Statements by Christ himself that tend to make us think, did he really say that? Did he really tell me that he is priority above even my family? That you read in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 34 of the Prince of Peace saying, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. And you see the sword striking down and enmity comes between families and you have to make him priority above the rest or you're not worthy of him. Or you have to take up your cross daily and follow after Him. Or you're not worthy of Him. The commitment that is Christ above all. Remember the parable of the dinner feast? When there was people who were invited and, well, I got married, I can't come. I bought some oxen, I got to go test them out. I can never remember the third excuse. <laughs> but there's three different excuses. Okay, you're not coming. Other people would be invited. And you begin to see the need throughout that scripture of the need to put Christ as priority above all. Where do our priorities stand in this life? I want you to notice a few things here as well that tend to hurt our conflict at times. And I think this first one's something we've got to reflect on. This is the struggle of Judas. And I'm not saying having a temptation is the ultimate problem here. I'm saying, what do you do with the temptation that you have? You remember in scriptures what he faced. It's a man who had a love of money. And he was so well trusted. He was in charge of the money box. They didn't see any issue with it. At least that I can read. And it's noted at times that he used to take money from it. I'm guessing he didn't take much, but he took enough. He had a love of money. And it doesn't take us long in the Scriptures to think about the dangers of that in our soul. Time would go on that it's almost as if the temptation was just so overwhelming. We read about the Scriptures where, where Satan has entered in, into him and it's almost to say, I, I've just had enough, I can't take it anymore. Satan, take over. It's almost to say that's what he's done. Letting, letting Satan take the will in his life. And he went on to betray Jesus, the Son of God, for 30 shekels of silver, the price of a slave. Jesus talked about how it would have been better for him to not have even been born. When I think about that situation, I think about not just the remorse, the, the, the worldly sorrow that the man had beyond that. And he went and he took his own life. But I begin to think there's a problem, something that I have never read in the Scriptures by that man. Correct me if I'm wrong. Do you ever see that man going and talking to someone else about the struggles that he is facing? I don't find it. How just terrible is that to just bottle it in and not talk to God and not talk to those who are following Christ and just to hold it all in. It is just detrimental. It is destructive to the soul. 
There is a reason that we read verses like the ones that I have on the screen there. Those from Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2. The need is, he says, to bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Or when we think back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, there's a reason that we need the body of Christ. I will never understand this concept of independent Christianity. I'll stay at home every single time and I'll watch a church service on TV. I'm not talking about those who are sick. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about in this culture, something that has come up, especially after COVID, where we can stay home, we can be comfortable in our pajamas, we can watch the church service, go about our day, we don't have to be involved with any other Christians at all. That is one of the most destructive things to the faith of any Christian. There is a reason, he says, you're part of a body. And even the members that we consider the the least, in a sense, they're more worthy. There's a reason that we're supposed to be able to to know each other and be intimately involved in the sense of that we can weep with those who weep and we can rejoice with those who rejoice. We need to know each other. And we need to work together. The problem goes beyond that, and, and I don't know that I saw him doing this either, with the problem where nothing is said to God. And he's the ultimate source. He's the one with the ultimate power. And how often do we fall to the trap of Israel? I am convinced that the danger of Israel is the danger of Christians today. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, he talks about you're going to go into this land of houses that you didn't build, vineyards you didn't plant, all these possessions that you didn't work for. It's all the things you didn't do anything for. You didn't earn it. And you're going to go into this land that flows with milk and honey. And you need to be careful about something. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. Who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, the land of slavery, into this land. And can I tell you something? It's not far off before they forgot God. Not that they didn't remember who He is. But they're not taking into account what He's done for them. There's no relationship there on their part. And it's a very short time before God is thrown to pasture. It destroys them. We need to look at this and realize something here tonight, that you and I have been saved from a greater exodus. Saved from sin itself with the, the heaven as our home. And we look to that great, uh, great home that awaits us. And we have all these spiritual blessings in Christ. All these things that He has done for us. And how often do we find ourselves thinking, well, you know, the times that are good, I don't even think about God. I don't even pray to God and thank Him for the things that He's done for me. I don't even acknowledge Him in those times. But wait till the time gets bad. God, I'm going to let you know it. I'm going to show you my anger and I'm going to let you know why I'm mad at you. Ever fall into that? Because I can tell you, and I know our brother Chad, he's not here tonight, but he has said sometimes before, the times that are good are the times we need to be active, the times we need to be praying, the times we need to be looking to God. And I say that just in conversation between him and I. And he's right. We especially need to be looking to God in those times. But too often we fail to do that. The times come that are bad, and now we blame God. I will say, as you've probably heard before, if the only time you talk to God is when you're in trouble, you're in trouble. 
That's the reality. We need to look to him in all the times, good and bad. Question for you here tonight. I want you to consider what source do you love more? When we look at the side that ultimately comes from God, the side that is holy, the side that is with purity, or the side that comes from Satan, which is unholy and full of defilement, I can tell you very easily, it would be easy to choose the second side. It would be easy to choose the side that we say it comes with the passing pleasures of sin, the side that is ultimately destructive. That is an easier side to choose in this walk of life because you have a world that is in opposition with you. So when you see all the people around you in the world, they're looking at you and they're thinking, you lost your mind. Why would you do those things? Why would you live your life in accordance to this? Just live it for fun. Live it for today, right? Live for the enjoyment. That's what you're told by the world. The reality when we come to Scriptures is that God expects us to hate evil. You ever heard anybody say, I hate sin? I hope you say, I hate sin. I hope we realize that the hatred for sin and the consequences of it and what it's done to man. Since the beginning, since the times in the garden, the destructive nature of sin. When we look at what God has instructed us, think back to the Proverbs. In Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 13, when he speaks of the fear of the Lord, he says, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. He says, pride, arrogance, the evil way, and the perverted mouth I hate. In fact, in Romans chapter 12 and verse 9, he tells us to hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Think about the things you do in this life. I'm talking about when you purposely live in a sin. You purposely practice a sin. And I know if, if I'm going to choose to live in that sin, the Scriptures teach if I choose that life, I can't go to heaven. Think about those kinds of concepts for just a moment. Not a sin that you, you're repented of and, and you're trying to do better. Sometimes the reality is this that we'll never give up the sins that we don't hate. If we love it too much, we're never going to give it up. Even at the cost of everything, even our soul. One thing that we need to do in this walk of life is that we need to start to turn this struggle over to God. And the, the question greatly is how, and these are some of the verses that tend to come to mind in this when we speak about the, the concept of the fear of the Lord. And each of these has a, a certain concept. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom, knowledge, wisdom. Now you see it kind of back and forth at times where they talk about the concept of the fear of the Lord being the beginning of knowledge or the beginning of wisdom. Sometimes we think about wisdom as knowledge applied. Taking the things that we're learning from God and putting them into practice and application in our lives. Or sometimes we think about the, the warnings in the Scriptures. Yes, the, the fear of the Lord, you see what it is the beginning of. And you see the other side of it is a side of destruction. And my question here with this in mind is, if we don't fear Him, why don't we fear Him? Why would that be? Why, why don't we have the respect for God that we ought to have? Why would that be the case? And maybe, just maybe, if that is the case, it might deal with not knowing God as we ought to know Him. 
I want you to think about what you brought with you tonight. I'm not talking about your spouse, and I'm not talking about pen and paper. I'm talking about the Bible that you've got. And I want you to think about what does that Bible mean to you? The world knows what it means to you. They know what it means when you hold it, whether we live by it or not. But sometimes I fear the danger that I even fall into is, I won't say it like this typically, but falling into this checklist mentality. If I can just get to the end of the night, I know it's been a busy day, but I'm going to read a few verses tonight. I'm going to get a prayer in and you know, I've got the, the things checked off. I'm doing good. If I die tonight, I'm going to heaven, right? Okay, we don't say it like that. And I want to challenge you tonight to think about something in relation to the Scriptures, to think more deeply than that. I'm not convinced that we're all looking at it like this necessarily. But I want you to consider what does the Bible mean to you? Because if anything, we can consider this is a letter from our Father. More deeply than that, it is a love letter from our Father. He's talking to His children. Do you realize that? How many days go by where you think about that concept? Being a child of God. How many days do we consider as we look to the Scriptures that this is about the greatest love story ever told? That Jesus loves you. From the beginning of the Scriptures to the end, it's about God reconciling a people. Bringing a people into His own through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. He gave up his own life. One thing, and I kind of did this out of humor and just kind of sarcasm in a sense, but the greatest fact checker. If you're on Facebook, you probably understand why I would say that. Everything is fact checked on Facebook and then it's told that it's false, okay? But I'm appreciative of that verse. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, and I'm just going to reference this tonight. But I want you to think about when you come to the Scriptures, what does it mean for you? When we talk about the Word of God being living and active and sharpening than any two-edged sword and piercing, if you would. It's something that pierces the soul. It's something that pierces to the bones, if you would. And we begin to think sometimes when we hear the message, maybe when the message is preached from a pulpit, we're thinking, I don't like what was said. My toes hurt. Okay, maybe when Barry preaches sometimes, I need thicker shoes. Because some of those things hurt, and it's a reality check. But here's the reality. It shouldn't be when someone is just preaching the gospel. The reality is, when I pick this up and I read it for myself, I need to understand it's exposing my life. And I can't hide from this. I might be able to hide these things from people. I might be able to cover up the things that I do in this life, and nobody else knows this. Whatever it is, I can't hide it from God. I am exposed, and I am laid bare before Him, and He knows the things that I have done or have not done. That's for all of us. And I need to come to His Scriptures with that reality, okay, that hurt, let me change it. I'm not doing that, let me fix it. I've been living that way. Let me change it. Whatever it is. But let us grow in the sense, not just that it brings us to conviction, but let us grow in the sense, as was prophesied in the times of old, of the law being in the minds and on the hearts of His people. It needs to be there. 
This is something you and I should be picking up every single day. And I love the way it was stressed one time. I can't remember if it was the class or the sermon Barry did. But when he said, you shouldn't have to tell the church to read their Bibles. And I can tell you, there's times where I struggle with that. Just being honest. But we need to have this in such a way that it is written on our hearts. We need to have this, as Paul talks about in Ephesians 5, in this contrast between light and darkness, that those of the light, they're they're seeking to do the good things, but they're seeking to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. We're trying to learn His will, if you would. And as we grow in this, it begins to change us. You ever thought about maybe when you first began to learn the Scriptures? We often talk about that as one who is taking in the milk. And that concept of just thriving and desiring that milk and just feeding off of that, if you would, like a baby would, a newborn baby. And just that desire for it. What comes through time is that the more you take the Scriptures and the more you digest it, is the more it becomes meat. It becomes solid food. And with that comes something very important that I can tell you, you probably didn't. I know I didn't have when we first became Christians. Discernment between good and evil. How often do you see someone who's maybe a young Christian in Christ and you're thinking, I wish I could just sit down with them. I see what they're doing right now. And they're headed down a destructive path. And they just don't see it. And even for ourselves, as time has gone on, the more we study the Scriptures, we begin to think, you know, I made a lot of foolish choices in my past. If I had known God more, and if I had known His Scriptures more, I could have seen it's not just, was there a thou shalt not statement I'm looking for? Because it's not necessarily that. Sometimes it's the principles that what he's showing me here is going to keep me from a lot of danger in my life. When we look at him, I want you to notice a few things here. When we turn the struggle over to God, knowing God is very important. Because knowing God is going to lead to the aspect of loving God. Can I ask you a question? When we talk about things as simplistic as reading the Scriptures or things as simplistic as praying to God, what would it be like for you and your home if you never talked to your spouse or to your children? What would that be like for you? You're probably thinking that that's not a relationship, is it? There's no communication. There's no growth. I can't know somebody if I'm never talking to them or I'm never listening to them. Communication is a two-way street. And we need to be listening to God. We need to be talking to God. But we need to grow in it into our love with God. And knowing God is going to lead to our service for Him. I think you understand this. The more you've grown to know God, the more you desire to serve Him. And sometimes people think that's just bizarre. Why, why do you come here on Wednesday nights? I'd rather be somewhere else. Or, or why do you come here Sunday nights? That, that's, that's excessive, don't you think? No, we, we want to be here. We want to be here when God's people meet together. And I recognize it goes deeper than just the assembly of the saints. I get that. But knowing him also leads to a sense of security. The world is going to look at doing this and they're thinking that's not a lot of fun. 
there's a lot of things that I could be doing, and you're telling me that if I become a Christian, I'm not going to get to do them. When I think of those kinds of things, I tend to think back to Moses. When we read of him back in Hebrews chapter 11, and we understand he, he wasn't willing to have that association with the Egyptians and this passing pleasures of sin. I hope this lasts long enough. I had it plugged in earlier. It's telling me it's about to die. <laughs> but these passing pleasures of sin. And I, I begin to think with this, oftentimes in the Proverbs, you read this concept. It's not phrased this way. But it is this. Bad company corrupts good morals. Because how many times throughout the Proverbs do you see that the people that we choose to associate with in this life, the people we choose to make our closest, can be a means of destruction or safety, a means of leading us astray into death or leading us into life. And he has warned at great lengths the dangers to his son of those things. And I will tell you, just as we have here on the screen, when you look at people in this life, for some, earth is going to be the greatest hell that they ever experience. That's for the Christian. Realize that. On the other hand, earth will be the greatest heaven for others. And that is a very sobering thought. To realize what awaits for the others. I want to mention just a couple more things here. We have what, five minutes? Is that two minutes? Okay. But I want you to notice something here. I'm going to go ahead and go up to the ends of this here. When we look at the Scriptures, there's something that we need to focus on. And I know, I, I could rehash this. I know Barry in some sense has talked about this as well. But we need to focus on the hope that is described in the Scriptures. You ever thought about all the things that you see on the news or sometimes that you see on social media? It's pretty negative to the point sometimes I'm thinking the best thing to do is just turn it off. Just get rid of it for now. It's negative. Everyone's just hurting everyone. It's all destruction. It's all chaos. What, what's the point of all this? And now if you come from this with the, the point of maybe someone who is not a Christian or not looking to the hope that awaits them, that is just, it's terrible. How do you do life without God? How do you do life without hope? I don't know. I don't get it. Because could you imagine for just a moment facing every single trial that you may go through in this life? And what if when I die, I just go to the grave, I become fertilizer, and there's nothing beyond the veil? It's a meaningless life. How many people have given up because that's what they see at the end? Or maybe when we realize at the end there's something greater that awaits. In Revelation chapter 2, I'll just reference this here real briefly. But he talks about this concept of being faithful unto death and that he would give them the crown of life. In the context there, he's talking to these Christians who are facing some very brutal times. And he's telling them, guys, it's going to get even harder. But you be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He's saying you be faithful even if it kills you because it might but you have the hope, the reward that awaits you when you leave this life.
I'm going to stop the, the class at this point. I, I hope we can think about those things in our struggle. Uh, unfortunately, in just a moment, you're going to have to hear me again. <laughs> I've got the invitation tonight, and I'm going to uh, mention something very briefly in it that we have talked about in class and go into something else that I hope will help you in the same account. But anyways, uh, thank you guys for the class tonight.